0: Well, welcome listeners to this apologetic series, segment 17. Um, today, we have got a verse that is can be a little problematic. It's, it's one in which the command is true, as we find it in the New Covenant, and the new teachings that we have through Jesus Christ, and the Spirit that He's given to us made possible through grace. Um, however, contextually, it's very important that we... Input the context into our interpretation of the passage to find what Jesus is really teaching. That might or might not make sense to you, but that is kind of the the dilemma that we have when we look at this verse. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And I've heard this verse used actually a handful of times over the last few months particularly within the last couple of weeks and I feel like people have a wrong understanding not only of the verse but also of what perfection is. Um, and so if if you know what verse I'm talking about, it's Matthew 548, let me just read it real quick so we kind of get that out of the way and, and, and um, give this as the foundation for it. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now I've heard oftentimes a, a reasoning away of this or this verse To say, he's not really saying like we need to be perfect because nobody can be perfect, right? Um, I disagree on that sentiment under the new covenant. I believe that there is a commission for the believer to strive for perfection. And the possibility of attaining it is actually there for us. Because of Christ and the spirit that's been made to dwell in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And grace, the divine influence of God Almighty that was never given to the people in the Old Testament in the way that it has been given to us in its full effect. This is why Ephesians Um, I believe it's in chapter 3 and 19, I think, that it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In the Old Testament, that wasn't made available in the way that it is to us. So I believe that the standard of perfection that we have through the cross of Christ and the imagery that Christ walked for us um, and then gave to the apostles, I believe that that is completely intact for us today who are in Christ, that we have the commission to pursue perfection. Do we need perfection to be saved? No. But because we are saved, do we have the ability to walk in perfection? Absolutely. And the scriptures make that abundantly clear if you're willing to receive it. However... Matthew five forty eight is not referencing a new covenant commandment for us to pursue perfection. And I'm going to show you that here in just a little bit. It's very important we understand what Matthew 5 is all about. Because we have to go back and see what this bookend verse of the Sermon on the Mount that's being given here in chapter 5, this segment of it. We have to understand what it's summarizing all. Because if we don't understand Matthew 5, then we're, we're going to have way out of whack doctrine on many elements. Are there some things that carry over into the New Covenant teaching? Absolutely, because the epistles uphold it. But are there some things in which Jesus is teaching that don't? Absolutely. Here's something you got to understand. The Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are not New Covenant teaching. That might be a surprise to you. And you might look at it. and You might see at the end of your Old Testament. There's this dividing page break. That says New Testament. Or New Covenant. Diathiki the Greek word. But Hebrews 9 says. That the covenant that we are in. In Christ. Could not be established until his death. And you can go read it. It's in Hebrews chapter 9. Towards, midway towards the end. Of that, pas- or of that chapter. The death of had to occur in order to redeem us from what was under the old, in order for a new one to be established. Until his death, the new covenant could not be established. So therefore, during his life, the new covenant was not intact. So what is Jesus doing through much of his teaching? Again, I'm not saying there aren't things that carry into the new covenant. What I want you to understand very, very carefully in all of this Is that Jesus is clarifying Old Testament misconceptions. And that's going to make sense in a second. So where do I get all this from? Going back into Matthew chapter 5. I want you guys to see something. In verse 17 he says this. And this is going to be kind of the carrying device through the rest of chapter 5. He's he's beginning here. as the front end of what his teaching is really going to be. And what it's going to truly be about. He says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I'm sorry, not the law of the prophets. Maybe I should get a little closer in my reading so I can see this. To abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, no pass from the law, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now again, remembering that Jesus is under the old covenant right here. The old covenant is still fully intact because the death hasn't occurred that redeems. So what is Jesus teaching? What is He trying to get us to understand as those who are, who are reading this in hindsight, um, you know, or not in hindsight, well, I guess it would be in hindsight. Those of us who 2,000 years later are reading this with the Spirit of God to give us discernment. What is it that Jesus is teaching? Well, I think there's one thing you have to understand. I said earlier that do we need to have, do we have a commission to strive for perfection and the ability to achieve it in Christ in this new covenant? Absolutely. But do we have to be perfect to be saved, to come into the salvation that God has extended to all mankind through the person of Jesus Christ so that any who would call on the Lord might be saved, who profess him as Lord, both with the belief in their heart and the confession with their mouth. Do I need to be saved in order to come into this salvation? Do I need to be perfect to come into this salvation? No. But here's the problem. What's the word that he says in Matthew five forty eight? Let me me turn to it real quick and read it one more time. You, therefore, must be perfect. You see, Jesus is trying to state something here. He's not saying, hey, here's what I want you to strive for. And I think this is what a lot of people miss here. Jesus isn't teaching a new covenant concept that's being written here. Jesus is clarifying something. He's trying to establish something for us. And what is that? I'm going to tell you what I think it is. Apart from Jesus, no man will get into heaven. And you might think, well, I agree with that. But where do you find that? He established it in 17 through 20. You see, Jesus is trying to tell these Jews who have been told their entire life, you need to keep the law of Moses. That's the only way to please God. That's the only way really to be found to be worthy of, of God and to get into paradise, to be at Abraham's bosom. You've got to keep the law because if you keep it, there'll be blessing. If you don't keep it, then there'll be curse. We see the history of Israel when they didn't keep the law and they did what the foreign nations did and they did what the pagans did. God brought curses upon them. But when they kept the law, things went well with them. It's the curse in Mount Ebal or the blessing of Mount Ebal and the curse in Mount Gerizim. So what I see in Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus stating, if you want to get into heaven apart from me, then you are going to have to keep the law perfectly. You must be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. He says, look, I'm coming so that you might have life and life abundantly apart from the law of Moses. I'm coming so that you can actually come into this faith in which you stand in this grace that has been given to you and extended to you. So that those who are humble and who believe, who meet the requirements to get this faith, grapple to their account and actually begin to utilize this grace through humility and through faith. I'm coming so that you don't have to come through the mediator of the law of Moses. You can come through the Messiah of Jesus Christ. But if you want to try to get to the destination that Jesus is going, like John fourteen six says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you're trying to get to that destination, if you're trying to get to paradise, if you're trying to get to Abraham's bosom, if you're trying to get next to the Father, he says, if you're going to try to do it through the law, once I die, you will have to be perfect. And that's going to make sense in a second when I go into Hebrews chapter 10. Because Jesus is the only sacrifice that God's going to look upon. You see, in the law, they had the sacrifice of blood of bulls and goats. And that could atone for their sins. That could actually give forgiveness of sins. As it talks about in the Old Testament, that if, if you offer the sacrifices in a custom with what the law told you to do, it says you could be forgiven. But here's the problem. God no longer looks at those sacrifices any longer. Because a body he prepared. He says, I will only look at the blood of my son. So here's the problem. If you mess up one time, and please understand what I'm saying because it's paramount to understanding this passage. It's paramount to understanding all of Matthew 5. If you mess up one time, once the son of man, the son of God has been has shed his blood for all of mankind and that new covenant in his blood is established for all of eternity, the eternal blood of the covenant is, as Hebrews 13, at the end of it, puts it. Once that happens, you don't have a sacrifice for your sins. See, that's problematic. You don't have anything that can atone for you. Because the law of Moses will no longer atone for you. You're going to be judged under it. And if you fail one time, you can't get in because Jesus is the only way. That's what he's stating. Jesus is clarifying all these misconceptions that have been taught by the scribes and the Pharisees. You've heard it said. This is what they've been teaching you. The law has stated. But I say to you, what does Jesus actually doing? He's revealing the heart of the law. Misconstrued by the teachers. He's actually raising the standards of saying, look, you've heard it said that it's just a simple matter of don't do this or do this. But I'm going to tell you that there's actually a heart behind the law. That if you even sin in your heart. You failed. And that's problematic, guys, because if you want to try to get to heaven apart from me, then you will have to be perfect. Even as your heavenly father is perfect. And here's the problem. No man outside of Christ can do that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's important to notice the past tense on that. It's not all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Because then that would have to include Christians. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a past tense. That means that there is not a single person, and that includes Mary, not a single person who has not fallen short and does not need a savior. Every single person has. And so again, if you want to get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ, you must be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. So again, this isn't to establish new covenant doctrine, but it is clarifying the old covenant misconceptions that have been misconstrued and mistaught and misappropriated to the masses of of the Jews by the religious leaders of the time who did not understand the actual heart of the law. They just tried to keep the religiosity of it intact. They wanted to look the part, but their hearts were far from him. And Jesus is simply saying, you've heard it said, guys, that this is all they expected of you. You've heard it said that under the law, what what is he talking about? The concept of fasting. Um, That's going back into chapter 6. What is he talking about? Anger, you've heard it said. But I'm telling you. Lust, you've heard it said. Don't don't, um, commit adultery, right? It's in the Ten Commandments. Just don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, I want to tell you that if you've done it in your heart, You've already committed adultery. He talks about even in divorce under the law. I talked about this one not too long ago. I have another segment in this apologetic series about 31 through 32. In which we we like to appropriate this one into new covenant teaching. But it's not new covenant teaching. The epistles make it abundantly clear that it is a permanence view. It an until death viewpoint. In the epistles under the new covenant through Christ. But in this one, he says, you've heard it said that under the law in Deuteronomy 22 and 24, you've heard it said that unless, if there was sexual morality involved, then you could freely divorce the person. You've heard it said, it was an easy teaching. Oaths, he talks about, retaliation, loving your enemies, things that actually carry forward into the new covenant. The concept is, is he's stating, you've heard it said by the religious leaders that this is how you need to be. But I'm raising the stakes and I'm going to expose and reveal the heart behind some of these things. And if you mess up, not just in deed, but in heart, then you have a major problem if you're trying to get to heaven apart from me. So why would he be saying this? why I mean I already kind of clarified that why Jesus is teaching this you must be perfect even if your heavenly father is perfect is again to establish the fact that heaven apart from Jesus is impossible the law of Moses remains for any who are not in Christ and I have a teaching on this one as well even going into Matthew 5 17 through 20 there's another segment that I have on this one that goes into Ephesians chapter 2 goes into Hebrews and we're going to go there in just a second to establish a point for this purpose of establishing what Matthew 5:48 says again it is a command in the new covenant it is a commission and a commandment that we have that we need to be perfect as Christ is perfect. But that's not what he's actually teaching here in Matthew 5:48 and that's why we're bringing this up. So again the law of moses is no longer the standard for any who are in christ but if you are not in christ it absolutely is the standard because nothing has passed from it the only way that the law of moses can be abolished is through christ and i would encourage you if if that's a sticking point for you and you're like man this this is venturing into heresy because the law of moses man that's the gold standard i'm going to tell you that it's not i'm going to show you that here in hebrews and I want to encourage you to go read Ephesians chapter 2 and go read Second Corinthians chapter 3 and go read, with eyes to see, Galatians 2, 3, 4, 5. And I'm just going to tell you, may, may the Spirit reveal to you what has actually taken place through the cross of Christ. Because what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. And you're going to find that Second Corinthians chapter 3 in relation to the Ten Commandments. Or you could go listen to my podcast that I had on that one. But I'm going to stick to this one. Hebrews chapter 10, 4 through 9. Listen to what he says. For it is, not was, but is. So we have a present tense um, participle that's u- being used here. That's showing us the tense that he's trying to get us to understand. It is the present tense. It is not a future tense. It is not a past tense. It is a present tense. So in this new covenant, as Hebrews is being written to believers, it says this. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now what we understand with this is not that it's impossible for blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In the sense to be forgiven. Under the old covenant. But for it to take away sins curse. Specifically. He says consequently when Christ came into the world. He said sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written um, of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Remember what Gethsemane was about? Not my will, but your will be done. And then check this out of what he says here. He does away with the first. In order to establish the second. What is he referencing here? The sacrificial system under the law of Moses. He says he does away with it. In order to establish the second. The blood of Christ. So here's what's problematic about this. And I touched on it again in that segment of Matthew 5 that I did. I don't remember which segment it was. You have to scroll through it and find out. But here's what's problematic. In Deuteronomy chapter 4... It says, you shall not add to or take away anything from the book of the law. Otherwise, you're going to be under some some major curse and destruction. Why is that problematic? He does away with the first in order to establish the second. You see, the only way that a commandment could actually be taken away was if the entirety of the law was fulfilled perfectly. That's the only possible way. You see, I don't get to go and say, well, I'm not under this anymore, but I still have to do this because the law of Moses requires it. The beauty of coming into Christ is that the the entire enchilada of the old covenant, which, by the way, covenant in the Greek means diatheke. That's what it's translated as the Greek word, and it simply means covenant, promise, or contract. You could also say it means testament. Essentially, it's the old contract that God made with the people of Israel. The Jews, through the laws of the mediator, as opposed to the new contract that he's made with all of mankind through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it's two different contracts. And when the new is established, the old is torn up. And while there might be some carryover, the old covenant, the entire enchilada, all 613 commands, in order to be righteous before God, has been. Abolished. Go read Ephesians chapter 2. And this is all going to come into play. And in what he's trying to teach here again. You must therefore be perfect. Even as your heavenly father is perfect. The whole premise he's trying to state. Is if you want to get into heaven apart from me. Then you're going to have to keep every single command perfectly. Without fail. Because there is no longer a sacrifice for your sins. You can't plead the blood of bulls and goats. Those things aren't going to forgive you and most certainly never took away sin's curse. There's only one who could do that and his name is Jesus Christ. So we see that in Hebrews chapter 4 through nine. What about Hebrews chapter seven, verse 11? Let me read this one just real quick. Now, if perfection, now again, remember what he just said. You must therefore be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? He says, if the Levitical priesthood under Aaron could produce perfection, by it the law was given to the people. it' through Aaron, through Moses that the law came. If you could reach perfection through the law of Moses then why would we need another? This is very clearly stating right here that the law of Moses could not bring anyone unto perfection. All the law of Moses could do was expose you to the depravity of your soul and lead you to the one who can. This is why Moses could only look upon the land. Because he struck the rock twice. You know what it was that actually put Jesus on the cross? It was the Jews. It wasn't really the Romans. It was the Jews. He struck the rock twice. There's two different accounts. One about speaking to it. One about striking the rock. He struck it twice instead of just once like God said. And he said, because you've done this and you struck the rock twice. He said, you are not going to be able to enter the promised land. Rather, the one after you is going to be able to do it. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, right? So Joshua, Yeshua, the same name as Jesus in the Hebrew. Yeshua is the one who takes over for Moses and leads the people into the promised land Moses could only look upon it he couldn't go in and I believe that that is a foreshadow to the law the law could only lead you to the one who can actually put you in the promised land and cross over that Jordan but Moses could never lead you to perfection the law could not make anyone perfect listen what he says in chapter 7 again 18 through 19 for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside, which, um, as we talked about that, um, atheticis is the Greek word that's used there. Going back into Deuteronomy 4 again, I think it's in verse 2. A, a former commandment is set aside. Atheticis, ab- abolition, disannulling, and cancellation is what that word means. So a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Am I making sense in this? You see, Jesus is is simply telling these Jews, you've heard it said your entire life that you need to keep this law because through keeping the law, you're you're actually going to come to the throne of God and you'll find the blessing of God. You'll find the promises of God. And Jesus is simply clarifying and stating, if you want to get to heaven apart from me, then you're going to have to keep that law perfectly. Because a better hope has now been introduced that when I die and I conquer death and I rise from the grave, that I will draw all men to myself. As he says in John. That when he is glorified, he ascends to the Father. He says, I will draw through the Holy Spirit, being unleashed upon all of mankind. I will seek to draw all people unto myself. Which is kind of a, a wrench in the Calvinistic type way of thinking. Because Calvinists will believe that only some people are drawn by God. But Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. When I am raised up, I will draw all men to myself. That drawing and the calling is going to be there for all people. And those who choose to bow the knee to me by confessing that he is Lord and believing in the heart that he is Lord... They will be the ones who find the promises of God in Christ. There's another one in chapter 10 verse 1. You're going to find it here again. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, meaning it being the law... By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. Make perfect those who draw near. So you see the conundrum that Jesus is giving to the people. If you want to get to heaven apart from me. And you want to get through the law. That's how you want to get there. That's the premise of what Luke 13 is all about too. That you're going to have to be perfect. But as we very clearly see here in Hebrews. The law cannot make anyone perfect. So what do we have? We have a person who's going to stand before God one day, being up a creek without a paddle. They're not going to be able to get in, because Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. It's not through Abraham. It's not through your ancestry. It's not through being a Jew. It's not through being an Israelite. It's not through keeping the law. Remember what he told the rich young ruler? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says... Keep the commands. He says, I've done this. And he goes, right. That's the point. You've done it your whole life. And here you are running up to me, falling on the ground, and crying out in a loud voice, good teacher, what must I do to get life? Because I'm not finding the life in the law. He says, that's my whole point. You're not going to find life Abundantly through the law, you will only find life in Jesus. So perfection under Christ is commanded, but it's not what Matthew five forty eight is stating. And this is why it's so important to not isolate a verse and strip it of its context and think that we have understanding with it when we do that. It's called decontextualizing a verse. And if you decontextualize a verse, you can actually make it say anything you want to. So we need to understand what Jesus is teaching Matthew 5 because not only will it give us understanding of Matthew 5.48, it gives us understanding through the whole chapter of Matthew. It gives us a, a better understanding, a better grasp On all those teachings that I taught about is anger and lust and divorce and and oaths and and whatever it might be. All those things, it gives us a, a better picture and a better understanding of clarification within it to be able to live in a way that pleases the Lord in the new covenant. And for that, you need to have the epistles that give you the understanding of what the teachings of Jesus are. Because again, as I said, the Gospels are not New Covenant doctrine. Are there some things that carry into the New Covenant? Absolutely. But much of what Jesus did was he taught the Jews the truth of what the Law of Moses was about. All those... those the. the the things that were being taught that were incorrect, he was clarifying what was written in order to establish what will be. Remember it says, we set aside in order to establish the new. So while the perfection under Christ is commanded, and we have been equipped, 2 Corinthians 9 eight talks about that very thing. It says, and to him who is able to make all grace abound to us, understanding grace is not unmerited favor while there's a degree of it. There's a a shimmer and a shade and and a degree of unmerited favor attached to grace in the right perspective. Grace in its full definition is not unmerited favor. If that's how you teach grace, then please repent of that. Because that is not, you are doing a disservice to what grace really is. Grace is power. Grace is strength. Grace is ability. It is the divine influence upon the heart of an individual who humbles himself. Which, by the way, if we're going to say it's unmerited favor in every capacity, and that's the best way to define it, then you have just contradicted scripture. Because unmerited means that there's nothing I can do or not do to get it. But what does he say in 1 Peter 5, 5? He gives grace to the humble, but rejects the proud. That means you have to do something to get it. So if you're one of the ones who has been kind of hoodwinked or deceived into thinking that grace is just solely unmerited favor, I'm, I'm, just, I'm pleading with you to repent of, of just that diminished viewpoint of what grace really is. When you understand that it's heaven's influence upon an individual here on earth, it's the divine influence of God. Man, 2 Corinthians 8 or 9, 8 makes so much more sense. Now to him who is able to to make all grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times we may abound in every good work. What does he just say? He says grace is the stuff that heaven is going to deposit in your heart when you humble yourself and believe in what is possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will cause you through grace to have sufficiency in all things at all times so that you may abound in every good work. You look at it, Philippians four thirteen that I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. James one two through four and again, I've heard perfection as um, stating just simply that it's just a moral maturity. Can I can I just tell you that that's not true? I mean, there's an aspect of that. Let me let me actually turn to James 1, 2 through 4, and I'm going to give you the rundown of what this verse actually implies and what the word perfect actually means. Teleios is the Greek word that's used here. Here's what it means. Brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. Perfect, that which is perfect, consummate human integrity and virtue. It's not just a mature person. This is talking about a person who needs nothing more to be complete. Nothing more to be finished. There's nothing more required. It means perfect. Stop being afraid of the word. Literally, teleos means perfect. It doesn't just mean mature. It means perfect. Perfect. It says, of men, full grown adults, of full age, mature. It doesn't just mean that, that you, you now know how to shave. It doesn't just mean that you just, you've got muscles now. You developed your frontal lobe. And now you're becoming more fully complete and just mature. That's not what James 1, 2-4 is trying to teach us. That's just a reasoned excuse to try to justify why we're not Perfect. He says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And here's our responsibility. Let steadfastness have its full effect in you that you may be perfect. And then check this out. And complete lacking in nothing. You see I'm a, I'm a mature man. But I can tell you physically speaking I lack in a whole lot of things. I wish I was taller. I wish I had a six pack. I wish that I could run faster. I wish that I was stronger. I wish that there was a whole lot of things about me. I wish that I didn't have a receding hairline and a bald spot. There's a lot of things that I wish that I didn't have or that I still need for completion. But that's not what the verse is saying. The verse is saying that you would be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Nothing. And as 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then it goes on and it says that we may become, become partakers of the divine nature. That means the nature of Christ himself. That we would partake in those things. Not just grow into a maturity But that we would actually grow into the full measure of the stature of Christ, which is what Ephesians 4 says. And I want to tell you the full measure of the stature of Christ is not just maturity; it is perfection. So there's really no way around it. We can try to diminish and we can try to lessen what the word means to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And actually make other people feel better about their sin and their failures and their shortcomings. But the reality is, is all we're doing is a disservice to the word of God. Of what God both expects and equips us in order to achieve perfection. But again, it is not what Matthew 5.48 is teaching. So yes, perfection is something commissioned and equipped in us in order to achieve. Just not perfection under the law of Moses. Because God will not equip you to live a perfect life. Through Moses. He will only equip you to live a perfect life through Jesus Christ. And this is kind of what Galatians even teaches us. I believe it's in Galatians chapter 2. And this is why I can't get behind this Hebrew roots movement that's seemingly sweeping Christianity today in, in many ways and in many areas in which people want to try to believe in Christ as Lord, but they want to go back to the old covenant. They want to live under the law of Moses. But a lot of them will define that, oh, I still have to keep the feast, but I don't have to do the dietary restrictions. Or some say, oh, I have to keep the dietary restrictions, but I don't really have to keep the feast because there's really not any temple that's built there. And then some are going to say, well, I've got to do this all over the place. Nobody knows because they don't have an actual foundation to their teaching. The Hebrew Roots Movement, I believe, is a ploy of Satan to try to diminish the work of Christ on the cross and to give an elevated glory to Moses. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 2. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, meaning through the law of Moses, then Christ died for no purpose. And I will to my dying day never say Christ died for no purpose. Because if my right standing came through the law of Moses... And still comes through the law of Moses. Then I am saying that Christ died for no purpose. Romans 10.3-5 says. That Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to him who believes. That means that the law of Moses is no more when a person comes into Christ. And this is where Galatians chapter 3, 23 through 26 picks up where he says this. Now, before faith came, meaning you could just insert Jesus before faith in Jesus came, we were, let me get back to it. We were held captive under the law, under the law of Moses, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, he says, the only way that you're going to get into this salvation, the only way that you're going to come in into a justified state before God. Now, again, I've talked about this in James 2.24. This is not referencing a justification in the end. This is referencing how does a person come into salvation? And it is justification through faith. You are put in a right standing before God through your faith in Jesus Christ, not in your obedience to the law. That's how you come in. How you preserve that to the end is through the works of Christ. This is why faith without works is meaningless. Do you really think that you're going to be justified solely by faith in the end? It's not according to James chapter 2. I'd encourage you to go listen to that podcast. because That's another misconception that's out there today. It says what it says. We need to stop reasoning in a way. We need to start understanding that there is only a way to come into this faith. And there's a way to stand before him justified in the end. But I digress from that. He says, um, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And you can go keep reading in chapter 4 and going into the very beginning of chapter 5, and when she talks about cast out the slave woman, who was the slave woman? It was the one that allegorically represents the law of Moses cast her out. For the son of the free woman will not inherit with the son of the slave woman. For freedom Christ has set us free, therefore do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do you know what that yoke of slavery is? It's going back and keeping the law of Moses. And why do I get onto this tangent? It's because of the principle of what Jesus is establishing in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to get into heaven apart from him, then you must be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. You must keep the law perfectly. You see, Matthew five forty eight is not the commission for the believer to live out in Christ. That's not what he's stating. Though there is the commission, it's just not upheld in Matthew five forty eight. Matthew five forty eight is a statement in which Jesus is declaring, I am the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father but through me. It will not be through the law of Moses. Because if you want to come through the law of Moses at the expense of me, then as Luke 13 says, you are going to find yourself on the outside looking in. And you're going to say, Jesus, you came to our streets, as the Jews probably did. The ones who died, the, who, Jesus came to their streets and they saw miracles and he saw all the healings and the teachings and all the stuff. And then they were the ones shouting out Hosanna as he's coming into Jerusalem, possibly. And possibly the same ones who were yelling crucify him when they saw that they weren't going to get what they wanted, a deliverance from Rome. And maybe some of those very same people stood before a judgment of God. And they're going to say, but Jesus, you came to our streets. You came and taught. That's got to account for something. That's got to mean something. And Jesus is going to say, you need to depart from me. You had your opportunity, but you chose to try to get in through the law. And God's not looking at the law any longer. He will only look at the person of Jesus Christ. This is why he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe it's 4 through 5, when he says that we are the spiritual priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable through Jesus Christ. You want to try to be pleasing to the Father? It's not going to come through your obedience to the law of Moses. It'll come through through your position of Jesus Christ and your obedience to the teachings of the new covenant that we have through the epistles. So let's stop using Matthew 5, 48 as a commission to the believer, but an actual declaration to the unbeliever. Y'all be blessed. Mm